The winner is. 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 What's it like? It's in your luggage. Sometimes. That means sometimes. There can be a hundred people in a room. Maybe there is right now. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken. I don't know her. She always has these long lists of like diva demands. Cheetos and Doritos. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. I understand you embrace the term diva. Yes. Hello, divas, divos, and divs. Welcome back to a new episode of Diva Dailies. This is a podcast where we deconstruct divas on film, TV, and in music. I am your host, Steffi. And before we get into the episode, if you're interested in following us on socials, we're at Diva Dailies Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And you can always email us at divadailiespod at gmail.com. Now, this is the part of the intro where I normally bring on my co-host, Angie, but I'm actually doing the next couple of episode intros by myself. Long story short, Angie and I pre-recorded a good chunk of these episodes because we knew that during this time I was going to be in California. And even though we would technically be in the same time zone, we weren't sure if I'd actually find time to sit and record episodes, let alone intros. So that's why I'm doing all of these intros by myself. But don't worry, you will be able to hear Angie in the actual episode. But before we get into our first ever Diva 101 on Aretha... I'm going to share some of our personal socials. So if you're interested in following Angie, she's at PoetrySoul3 on Twitter, at Angie.Simone on Instagram, and at PoetrySoul on Letterboxd. And if you want to follow her on YouTube, she also makes great videos at her YouTube channel called Sleepy Nerd Productions. And then if you want to follow me, I'm at INN underscore MHO on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Letterboxd. And you can always follow me at In My Humble Opinion on YouTube. And if all of that just like, whenever we say our socials, if it's like literally going in one ear out the other, you can always just go to the episode description and you will see all of our links there because I made sure that hyperlinks work for this podcast. So yeah, there you go. Um, Angie and I were really nervous about this Diva 101, not just because it's the first Diva 101, but because it's Aretha Franklin. So please let us know how we did. We hope you get something out of it, learn something new about Aretha, maybe come away with some new songs to get into, but we hope we did the Queen of Soul justice on this one. So without further ado, here is our very first Diva Dailies Diva 101 Aretha Franklin. Hello, where are the divas? Divas! Welcome to the first official Diva 101 episode of Diva Dailies. Okay, so you guys might be wondering, what is a Diva 101? So we're just going to explain really quickly. So a Diva 101, this is a new recurring series where we discuss a legendary diva that helped define how we think of the term diva because clearly angie and i have our favorites mine is whitney and angie's is janet but these divas in the diva 101s are like the og 
divas. They're like the classic divas. And none of the people that we talk about pretty consistently on the podcast, none of them would exist without these divas that we're going to be covering with Diva 101s. They're the blueprints, the architects. So the goal of Diva 101s is basically to introduce a diva and to give a general overview of who they are, their influences, their career, and who they would eventually go on to influence. But most importantly, why they matter in the grand scheme of the diva pantheon. So don't expect a detailed, super intensive look of every single project we save those for the project specific episodes this is just an introduction hence diva 101 so just trying to set expectations here in case i'm sure any stands of these particular divas contact us and are like why didn't you come last it's because <laughs> we only have so much time yeah. in these divas illustrious careers mm-hmm. so the first diva we're obviously going to cover in Diva 101s is Miss Aretha Louise Franklin. The diva. The diva. The diva of all divas. Yeah. Aretha. Well, Angie, um, this, you know, this was your idea. So if this doesn't really go well, we could all At Poetry Angie. Soul 3 on Twitter. Hopefully this won't be an app poetry soul three moment. No, we're gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. We're gonna be good. We're gonna be good. Everybody needs to know about Aretha. Yes. Even if it's just a little bit. Cause you don't wanna get caught on a BT I mean red carpet not knowing any Aretha Franklin song. If only this episode was recorded before LMA gave that fateful interview. I'm just saying. Lord. So if you can give me like three of your favorite Aretha songs or moments, like what would they be? Put me on the spot. Um Respect, obviously. Um, three. I'm trying to think. Help me out, Mustard. Well, I thought a nice way to start this conversation, Angie, would just be to ask you, what is your earliest memory of Aretha Franklin? Oh. Or at least maybe when was the moment that you really began to appreciate Aretha? That is a really good question. I know. I came up with it. <laughs> it's hard with a diva like aretha Mm -hmm. who has just always been there i don't remember a time where aretha was not there yeah but i think i i really started appreciating her more when i fell in love with music more when i started Mm. being allowed to like buy my own records and then when my dad introduced me to covers oh right Yeah, because she's a cover queen. Cover queen. And a lot of artists in the 90s covered her music. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. We talked about In Vogue. Yes. Giving him something he can feel. Uh Uh-huh. I'm giving him something he can feel. It's like the early 2000s, late 2000s, the resurgence of Sparkle, all of that stuff. Like, that's when I was like, oh, my gosh, Aretha. Aretha is that girl. And then also, too, the Divas show. What was that called on VH1? Oh, Divas Live. Divas Live. You guys, that's, I mean, I really don't think we can do Divas Live anymore, given the current state of music. (laughs) But um, 
back then there was like several specials in the late 90s i think they did some maybe throughout the 2000s i'm not quite sure but they basically would gather a bunch of divas to perform yeah. and it was literally yes. called divas live and aretha was on one of the episodes yes tonight live from new york city vh1 presents celine dion aretha franklin gloria stefan shania twain and mariah carey together on broadway for one night only divas live it's that moment where you see all of your faves of the 90s mm -hmm. like giving respect to this person and you're just like oh this is royalty like it was one of those moments where you still could look at a celebrity and be like oh my gosh I'm looking at a legend yeah so like late 90s early 2000s that's when I really was like oh my gosh Aretha Franklin yes yeah queen mm -hmm. you know yeah because she's just so major absolutely because even if like you don't specifically engage with her directly an artist that you grew up listening to has probably at some point covered her music and then that will Absolutely. be the bridge to get you to aretha yep so yep. i'm right there with you i mean it's difficult for me to pinpoint as well because she's just so like massive yeah i guess if i were to pinpoint a specific maybe moment of being really aware of like oh this is aretha franklin was um i i grew up dancing i feel like i always say this like every podcast episode <laughs> but it's a, a lot of the reason why i love divas so much is because of dance because i either like Absolutely. grew up you know in the dance studio hearing yeah. their music even regardless of if i was registering like oh this is so and so like i just right. i knew probably their music first before i actually knew them right. and um when i was 17 i did a solo to ain't no way no what so like that song i feel like really connected with yeah because i was always like when you have a solo and you're competing that solo like you listen to that song all the freaking time yes so um i really know ain't no way fairly well right. and then i would several years later then as i was becoming like a, a huge whitney houston stan like make the whitney connections yeah. to ain't no way and i was like wow everything yeah. comes full circle right but ain't no way when i was 17 was probably my first big aretha song wow that is yeah. a great intro angie would you like to give us some like fast facts about aretha like um, you know, where she was born. Got you. All of that stuff. Goodness gracious, what a history. Checking the book out. So, Aretha Franklin was born on March 25th, 1942 in Memphis, Tennessee. That definitely makes her an Aries. Do you know there's other Aries divas that were born around that, like, in that same week period? Okay, tell me. Okay, Shaka Khan was born March 23rd. Then Aretha was born on March 25th. Diana Ross was born March 26th. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Mariah Carey was born March 27th. Oh. And then Lady Gaga was born March 28th. The divas. divas. The Aries divas. You weren't dropping like like small names. No, they're not tiny they're like, divas. They're big divas. You said Shaka, Mariah, yeah. Aretha, Diana. Like literally day after day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Well, like I said, she was born March 25th, 1942 in Memphis, Tennessee to Baptist preacher Reverend Clarence LaVon C.L. Franklin and Barbara Siggers Franklin 
who was a gospel singer. Aretha Franklin's parents decided to separate when she was very young, the age of six, I believe. Because of that, Aretha Franklin ended up relocating to Detroit. And that's the start of her whole Detroit roots right there. If you got your house on a solid rock. Her father, the charismatic Reverend C.L. Franklin, who was pastor here, would electrify audiences with his thunderous sermons. When you come face to face with temptation, then he'd call his daughter up to the pulpit. My dad had to push me to sing, though. I really didn't want to sing. Aretha was about 10 years old. I'm standing up on a little box. Uh, you were on a box? Yeah, the pulpit was too high. So they put a little box next to the pulpit. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, 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 I'll never At a very young age, people realized Aretha's gifts, and she was often seen as a child prodigy. But your dad, in addition to being a great... Mm-hmm great preacher was also a singer yes he was and you were how old when you sang in the church i started in the junior choir at um 12 11 or 12 also wanted to add too that her father was a very prominent minister yeah and i guess he was known as the man with the million dollar voice because he Mm. would give these emotionally driven sermons and he became so popular that the celebrities of the time would travel just to hear him speak when gospel greats like mahalia jackson or clara ward would visit the house the young Aretha would watch from the top of the stairs. To see who was coming in and who was going out and peeping through the, the railing of the staircase. So it was special, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, who, very special. Who did you like to see most of all? Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime, Sam. That's and then crazy. from there, that's how he kind of grew his celebrity network of sorts so people like sam cook started showing up and jackie wilson and martin luther king jr and james cleveland and then also clara ward who he would eventually have a romantic Mm. relationship with yeah that's another thing too is allegedly he was cheating quite a bit on aretha's mother which is what led to the divorce yeah yikes allegedly allegedly (laughs) i mean we're gonna like stick to the music but yeah because there's a lot of drama there oh my gosh (laughs) aretha's private life it is pretty pretty insane i'm just gonna throw out there she was a mother by 12 yeah that's how crazy her situation was Mm -hmm. mother at 12 again birthed at 14 (laughs) she lived a life (laughs) She lived. She lived, okay? <laughs> you look great now. I'm not going to ask your age, but you look, but you have grown children. Young men. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm a child. Of course, I started very young. Yeah, how young? Yeah. <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, let's not talk about that. But I was, I was young, and we've grown up together. Getting back to the music, let's talk about Aretha's musical inspirations. Let's get into it. She is the mother I never had. I don't know a better person. So obviously gospel. Absolutely. Because she's quite literally growing up in the church. So of course, gospel. She's connected in obvious ways. Both parents 
connected. But uh, one of the biggest artists, if you guys don't know this artist, she deserves a one-on-one too because there's no Aretha, there is no Whitney without Mahalia Jackson. Mahalia Jackson is considered the queen of gospel. Like she is that girl. Precious Lord, Aretha was definitely influenced by Mahalia Jackson. Grew up uh, listening to Mahalia Jackson. Also, the king of gospel, James Cleveland. Lord, do it. Again, these are huge names within the gospel world, the gospel community. And then there was also other artists within the blues sector, within the jazz sector, like Dinah Washington. What a difference a day made 24 little hours Ray Charles Hey mama, don't you treat me wrong Come and love you daddy all night long, all night long Even friend Sam Cooke Darling, you These were the people that she was mainly influenced by. Yeah, and I think that's important to note too because of the nature of who her father was. Yeah. That she had direct access right to these people. Yeah. It wasn't just she's sitting alone in her room listening to their music like right, she actually right. could talk to them. Yeah. And front row seat to their artistry. Hashtag Nepo baby. I mean, <laughs> a Nepo baby of her day. Another- <laughs> you know, just because she's around music in general, again, yes. because of the church and around these caliber of artists, it's like through osmosis, she learns and it shows up in her music, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It actually kind of reminds me a lot of Whitney. Yes. It's almost like word for word, bar for bar. Yeah. The exact same thing. Yeah. That happened to Whitney. There's a lot of Whitney connections that are just, as I was researching, I was like, oh, yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I see you, Whitney. I'm like, oh, my God. No wonder why Aretha was so annoyed. (laughs) She saw her mini me. She was like, no. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I mean, you got to imagine she learned from her mom who sang back on almost every major record out of New York, yeah. and even tour with Elvis Presley and all that. I mean, all the Aretha Franklin records as you know, could be Sissy in there somewhere. Dionne Warwick records as Sissy's in there somewhere. All that education she had. Yeah. She's taught, taught Whitney how to be the best. And don't forget, Dionne Warwick is in part of her family. <laughs> Aretha Franklin's her godmother. I mean, all this royalty is like right there for her. So she's like drawing on that as a little girl. Now we're going to get into sort of like the timeline of her career it's the journey we're gonna give context to different eras without diving into the specifics because as we all know aretha has a lot of albums with a lot of songs and it's just like 
tons of music there's just no way we're gonna delve deeply into every single album but it's more of like a snapshot of like this is what she was doing at this time but what's really interesting about aretha is we've decided to divide this based on the labels she was with yeah during a given era so that's how we're gonna you know be looking at her career so let's talk about the first big label she was at which was columbia yes so she was there from 1960 to 1966, she tells her father she wants to have a pop career like Sam Cooke. Yes. Friend of the family. Mm-hmm. In a rare interview for an ABC News documentary, along with husband Ted White, Aretha talks about her father. He coached me a lot in uh, singing, taking my time and working with the song. Then um, I decided I wanted to change fields. So I let him know. And... Uh, he felt if this was what I wanted to do, then this is what I should do. And that he would help me as much as he could to get into the field of rhythm and blues and pop music. So she moves to New York, gets signed. And I kind of think of these Columbia years as Aretha's finding herself years. Absolutely. I still got to find out who and what I really am. I don't know yet. I'm trying to find the answer. But how would you define her time at Columbia? She's a new artist. You know, she's like coming into this pop world after being in the gospel world all her life. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And she's seeing the people that were in the church, like Sam Cooke, become successful Mm -hmm. not doing gospel. Right. Sam, come sit. Make yourself at home. What year, we're, we're reminiscing today and using the all-time, old-time goodies and all that stuff. What was the first year you recorded uh, You Send Me? You Send Me, Dick, that was in 57. Uh, Previous to 1957, how many records had you made? I'd made about, uh, I'd made any popular tunes. You hadn't made any popular songs, but you had been working in another field, had you That's not? That's right, I was doing spirituals at the time, Dick. All right, what caused you at that point in your career of 57 to turn to this kind of singing? My economic situation. <laughs> <laughs> But also it's like she's in this space of how do you merge something that you grew up on with pop? Mm -hmm. And in the era of Motown, Motown sounded a very specific way. It did not sound like gospel. I think this era is definitely the time where she's trying to find her voice. Like what makes her different mm-hmm. in an era where the singers are singing? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They are like singing down. Yeah, I have here that in terms of like maybe specific pieces of music that she released during the Columbia time. So her first single was a song called Today I Sing the Blues. Yesterday, this time I sang a love song. But today, I'm singing the blues. And she released that when she was about like 18 years old. And then the first album she goes on to release is an album called Aretha, which, by the way, she has a lot of self-titled albums. 
Like yeah, I was looking at her discography, was like, there's another album called Aretha. <laughs> wow. I said the same thing. <laughs> but she did that album with the Ray Bryant combo, and it was produced by John Hammond and released in January of 1961. And you can definitely tell that they were trying to find her sound, and they're experimenting with a lot of different pop classics at the time. So yeah. she actually has a really lovely cover of Judy Garland's Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Somewhere over the rainbow Way up high Wow. Incredible. Yeah. Which is interesting, too, because her peer, Patti LaBelle, ends up doing a Somewhere Over the Rainbow cover, too. Right. Which ends up becoming a huge cover for Patti LaBelle. So it was interesting to hear an Aretha version mm -hmm. of that. Especially a young Aretha version. Yeah, absolutely. So the main gist with the Columbia years is she was able to find chart success, but it was primarily on the R&B charts. Yeah. And she ultimately struggled with trying to find crossover pop appeal. Right. And John Hammond, who was kind of her main collaborator at Columbia at the time, said that ultimately Columbia didn't really know what to do with Aretha's gospel background. Mm. So towards the end of her time at Columbia, by November of 1966, her contract expires and she owes Columbia money due to her lackluster sales. Tell as old as time, people going broke because... They owe the company money. And this is like the early days of like music labels too. So they're trying to get the money. It's that music business. But then things start to take a turn for the better. Yes. Because she goes to Atlantic. Yes. And she's there with them from 1966 to 1979. And a lot of people would consider this to be the iconic Aretha years. Yes. Like a lot of the popular big hit songs that we associate with Aretha most likely came from this era. Yep. How would you define her time with Atlantic? Like you said, this is the iconic years. These are the years where she comes into being a legend. Yes. The queen of soul. Mm -hmm. This is like iconic Aretha. What we know as Aretha was formed in these Atlantic years. Mm -hmm. And she has just like hit her album after hit her album after hit her album. Like these years are just some of the, the most amazing albums in R&B of her career. Like if you're looking for soul, soul albums to just really get into and dive into, these are the albums to look at. Totally. For sure. Mm -hmm. I would say the top four for me mm -hmm. uh, would be I Never Loved a Man. The Way I Love You. Yes. That was dropped in 1967. It starts off with respect.
important to note because some people may not know this, but that's a cover of Otis Redding's Respect. What you want, honey, you got it. And what you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking for the respect when I come home. That song was able to reach number one on both the pop and R&B charts, and it became an anthem for the civil rights movement. Yes, yes. Putting that album into context. Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, mm-hmm. 1967. Uh-huh. It became an anthem for the civil rights movement. Yes, it, it did become their mantra. That's true. What an honor. It was a battle cry, yeah. Met- my sister Carolyn and I put that together, my younger sister Carolyn, who has passed now. We uh, stood around the piano. There was a cliche in Detroit at the time. Uh, sock it to me was the cliche. Sock it to me, sock it yes, to me, sock it to me. Yes, wow. yes, exactly. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. What do you think makes Aretha's version like the version of respect? Well, first off, I feel like we're going to be talking about Whitney Houston a lot this episode. Yeah, so get ready. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) But like, you know how we look at Whitney as like the queen of covers? Yeah. Aretha is the same way. Yeah. Whitney learned from Aretha, Mm -hmm. you know, how to cover a song. She makes it hers. It's completely different. It sounds nothing like the original. It's hers. It's her record. Right. Like her vocals alone. It's the groove the vocals like you just feel empowered yeah and you want to sing the song it's got sass to it like yes it's just it's just a bomb record you know what i'm saying and i also think just hearing a black woman sing that song about demanding respect really elevates the meaning absolutely absolutely everyone wants respect everyone needs respect from the young to the very old and in the middle male female uh we all want respect and we all want to be appreciated. Definitely check out I Never Loved a Man The Way That I Love You. That's the album that Respect is on. And then Lady Soul, which she dropped in 1968. Please listen to Lady Soul. That album, oh, Chef's Kiss. That one has Chain of Fools. You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Ain't No Way is on this album. Ain't No Way. I mean, those are just the three heavy hitters. And then, of course, you have Amazing Grace, which is the gospel album. She did this album because her idol, Mahalia Jackson, passed away on January 27th, 1972. And it moved Aretha Franklin to the point of returning back to her roots to create, again, the 1972 gospel classic, Amazing Grace. And this album was so successful that it went on to sell 2 million copies and became the best-selling album of that time. That's a huge, huge thing to do 
as like this R&B soul artist to go back into gospel. And then she's like, oh yeah, I'm about to just drop the best-selling gospel album ever. Boom, <laughs> you know? And there's also some like lore with that Amazing Grace project as well because it's, you know, it's a two-night live recording. Yeah, yeah. And that was actually filmed by Sidney Pollack. But at the time, I think they were wanting to release that movie. But then there was some technical issues with like syncing. And then I read somewhere that like Aretha didn't really want it to come out. And then there was also the Hollywood issue of like they didn't really want to promote a movie like that. But after Aretha Franklin died in 2018, they finally released Amazing Grace. Yeah. So have you seen the movie? Absolutely. I went to the theaters to go watch it. Me too. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I said I need to see this in HD yeah. on a big screen. Now the young lady that we've all been waiting to hear, she can sing anything, anything. My sister, Miss Aretha Franklin. It was, again, one of those moments where you sit back and you're just like, damn, a legend. And it brought me back to my go- uh, my gospel church roots, sitting in a church. My favorite part of going to church was sitting in the pews and listening to the choirs. Like that was literally, the music was my favorite part. And I felt like I was like reliving that childhood experience of sitting in the pews, Mm -hmm. listening to these amazing people singing, Aretha and the choir. And then, you know, the amazing piano players, bass players, like all these musicians are just freaking amazing. Like everything was so incredible about that documentary yeah i just remember when it starts off with her singing holy holy oh yeah she comes out i remember i cried oh (laughs) as you should because that's the only reaction that you should have (laughs) when aretha franklin comes out yeah i start singing gospel My favorite part was uh, when You'll Never Walk Alone Mm. came on Mm -hmm. and it's just Aretha and the piano at the beginning. Her vocals are just insane. And then the choir comes in. Oh my gosh. Almost crescendos. I had goosebumps. and I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. When you Listeners, if you haven't seen, you have to, I think you should watch it. Like definitely listen to the album, but you need to watch it because since it's like, yeah, it's out now and it hadn't been out for the longest time on a Sunday, maybe you should watch (laughs) Amazing Grace. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
we sat down with those closest to Franklin. You know, America lost a legend. You lost a mother. You lost an aunt. What was it like watching this performance? I was very touched. I welled up in a couple parts. To us, that's like the moment, her zone moment. She, when, so. she would do, when she would go into concert, <laughs> she she'd go into a zone. When she closes her eyes, and she's not hearing anything else around her. It's all about her performance and what she's doing. One, she's in the church, and two, she's also making a recording, which is, you know, these are two things that are the holiest of holies to her. And then the last album I think people should listen to out of this era, of course, is Sparkle, 1976. I'm giving him something he can This was a musical soundtrack from the motion picture Sparkle and was mm -hmm. Aretha's 24th album. 24. Wow. That's insane. By 1976. 24. Oh my God. But with this project, she teamed up with Curtis Mayfield and gave us classics like giving him something he can feel. I get high and rock with me. This is just a classic album. Like I feel like everybody just needs to just sit with it and listen to it. Just classic. It's a classic album. Won't you come down here, my dear, and we can find out a little bit about the Curtis Mayfield music in a motion picture called Sparkle. You are not in that film. You, though, is no, that from it? I wish that were. How did you come by the music? Do you know Curtis? Yes, I do. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. It was a suggestion from uh, Ahmet Erdogan of Atlantic Records. You got a whole album of that music. Yes, we do. And a lot of people that we've covered on this podcast, there's been some sort of reference to the Sparkle soundtrack, especially when we were talking about the girl groups. Mm -hmm. That Sparkle soundtrack was really, it's, really yeah, lit the way for them. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Within the Atlantic years as well, I thought it would be important to highlight her relationship with Jerry Wexler, mm. who was her main collaborator at Atlantic at the time, because unlike when she was with Columbia, Jerry Wexler wanted to really lean into Aretha's gospel background. Right, right, yes. With all of her music. So I think that really shows up in the albums that she makes during this time. She was my personal project, of course. Uh, I had heard her voice uh, and her uh, records on Columbia, and they really demonstrated her brilliance. It happens that Aretha is a brilliant pianist, uh, a cross between Thelonious Monk, maybe, and Mildred Falls, uh, a great gospel uh, uh, accompanist. Also, in effect, she really produced the songs because she would bring the songs to the studio with the layout already, the key, uh, uh, the backing group arrangement, you know, with the inspirations or her sisters or whoever. And so uh, we just had to fill in the numbers very often. Also, what happens during the Atlantic years is in 1967, she's officially named the Queen of Soul, Queen of Soul yes. which is how we know her as. Yes. But a quick little story is in Chicago, 1967, 
The year is debatable, but it was in Chicago. She was headlining a show at the Regal Theater and legendary DJ promoter Purvis the Bluesman Span quite literally coronated Aretha Franklin on stage as the Queen of Soul. And he put a crown on her head and everyone was going crazy. It becomes a thing. And reflecting back on that event, Aretha said in 2015, who wouldn't want to be called the Queen? Period. <laughs> <laughs> especially if you having hitters like the hitters that have, we just named like she was worthy of the title at that time she was worthy definitely worthy of the title she was also on the cover of um time magazine in 1960 i think eight 1968 and she earns her first two grammys yes she does when she moved to atlantic records she found people that really believed in her precious love She got a chance to really sing and craft songs that came from her heart and build songs that were coming from her piano playing. That's what I'm playing is gospel to me. This, as compared to the gospel to me has a lot more movement to it and a lot more of what I feel is so. Should we take a moment to talk about a very popular song, a diva anthem of sorts? Okay. That was released during this time. It's um it's a little song called You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. I just thought it would be important to highlight this song in particular because I think this is like one of the ultimate diva anthems Yeah. because it's been covered by so many divas. So many, yes. Like, you know, obviously Carol King has her own version because newsflash, she actually composed the song. Looking out on the morning rain I used to feel and then also covered by Mary J. Blige. Mary J. Blige. And when I knew I had to face another day, oh, Lord, it made me feel so tired. Whitney yes. has sung this several yes. times live. Has a fabulous version of it on one of her albums. When my soul was in the lost and found, you came along to claim it. 
dreaming. Amber Riley on Glee yeah. covered another Aretha song, and it was You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman. Now I'm no longer doubtful of what I'm living for. And if I make you happy, I don't need more. Cause you made me feel. You made me feel. You made me feel like a natural woman. Angie, what are your thoughts about this? wonderfully composed carol king song <laughs> you know what's funny it's uh when i sat back and listened to the song the past couple of days yeah dawned on me that this is not the version that i recognize oh really yeah i was just like oh i mean i know aretha sang it yeah and i know aretha's version yeah but i was just like what version have i been listening to all these years yeah because i don't i've never actively sat down and just was like I need to listen to the song. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that it's probably like the Mary J. Blige version. Do you feel more attached to the Mary J. Blige version? It's just I not attached per se, but I I just hear it. Oh, interesting. When I was listening to the Aretha version, I was like, oh, no, I definitely hear. It. No, that's no, that was a Mary J. Blige song. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. wow. <laughs> oh, my God. I have like the compl- <laughs> this is like always been Aretha to me. Oh, see, <laughs> like. But I was like, how do I know this song without knowing this song like through Aretha? Oh, you know, but this song is just amazing. It's helps you or allows you to have this great vocal moment. Yeah. In certain parts of the song. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great diva song. Yeah. You know? Yeah. There's a lot of great moments, especially if you're like a vocalist to to find in the song to like really make it your own. Absolutely. I mean, this is probably more so it's a compliment to Aretha, but it's like also largely a compliment to Carol King. Yeah. And Jerry Goffin, who did the lyrics to this song. But what I like about this song, at least the Aretha version, is it feels lived in. Yeah. Ooh, but yeah. also like a fantasy at the same time. Yeah. And I just think the composition is just so gorgeous and timeless with the strings. Before the day I met you. And then like the opening piano keys. And then also the background vocals are just as iconic as the main vocal. Like the... I used to feel so uninspired. Oh, yeah, dude. So good. They do all pop popping in the back. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you're supposed to do some background vocals, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that's the thing with almost everything in the Atlantic years in terms of background vocals. Mm. They are pristine yeah. from Ain't No Way to this song, just pristine. Totally. And I think what makes these background vocals feel a little bit more unique mm-hmm. is they do almost feel like church, like gospel vocals. Right. But with like Motown mixed into it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's got that little flavor. It's got that. Mm. I do want to point out two more things of this era yeah uh, to really put the diva in context we briefly talked about the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. i do want to point out that she actually performed at dr king's funeral Mm, after he was assassinated and if you missed it dr king was a friend to aretha's dad and she ended up doing a heartfelt rendition of precious lord direct from our newsroom in washington in color 
This is the CBS Evening News with Walter Cronkite. Good evening. Dr. Martin Luther King, the apostle of nonviolence in the civil rights movement, has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm going to trust the healer. Leave me alone. And God knows he'll be your life. You ain't got to worry about it. It's in my heart and I know it. Precious Lord. He's going to take your hand if you got troubles. And he'll take your hand if you got troubles. He's going to leave. She ended up making her way kind of into politics, more into politics. And later that year, she was selected to sing the national anthem to begin the Democratic National Convention in Chicago. But also, it is super, super important to look at the industry at the time. Yes, the Atlantic years was her breakout years, Mm -hmm. you know, her iconic years. But also there was this small little thing that was happening called disco. Mm. And disco was taking over everything. You could say that our story starts with John Travolta's film, Saturday Night Fever, about the disco craze. But that isn't really true. You have to go all the way back to Elvis Presley, to the Beatles, to rock and roll, and then finally comes disco. A very large, very lucrative new business of dance music. Maybe the biggest wave yet, because it certainly seems that more and more Americans are getting more and more into the disco scene. In the later parts of the 70s, Aretha started to see a decline in interest in her music because it was so, it wasn't this funky disco. It wasn't, you know, Donna Summers. It wasn't Gloria Gaynor. So towards the end of the 70s, she started seeing a slow decline Mm -hmm. in the interest of her music. Mm -hmm. I know that sounds crazy, but that was the power of disco. A lot of people, like you said, even though they think of Aretha's Atlantic years as like super iconic, it's more so like the first half of it was. And then like yeah. the back half is when it's she sort of meanders yeah. and is essentially like stuck yeah. at Atlantic because the crossover appeal as well, which makes sense when you're putting it into context with disco, whereas in the beginning, she was able to cross over into pop by the later half. She's more or less just only making the R&B charts. Right. Jerry Wexler, who was a huge collaborator during this time, like he also leaves Atlantic in 1976. So she's kind of there by herself. Right. But that sets us up to the next label she would then go on to from 1980 to 2007. And it's a label called Arista. The small label. (laughs) A small label called Arista. I kind of think of these years as like the resurgence of Aretha. The Renaissance era. Yeah, because I like at this point, clearly trying to appeal to a younger 80s audience. Yeah. Clive Davis, who was the head of Arista at the time, wanted to help revive Aretha's career after languishing a bit at Atlantic. But how would you define this time at Arista? Uh, This is the like, soundtrack movie renaissance era this is how i i look at it Mm. because during this era yes she because she was failing to chart at atlantic she crosses over 
Clive Davis is all about making smart moves yeah. to make his divas relevant. Yeah. I get this call from Aretha. She was in a bit of a slump at that point. She was in a bit of a slump, yes. But she was the queen of soul. Yes. And she said, you know, I'm nearing 40. Mm-hmm. And I'm nervous that, you know, can I have hits after 40? I said, listen, to me, you're timeless. And so the year that she crosses over to Clive Davis, she's in this like tiny little film this comedy called the blues brothers like what the heck Mm -hmm. you know it was actually a pretty big film if you guys don't know what the blues brothers is but it helped revive her career after disco yeah she sang this song she performed this song called think alongside comedians john belushi and dan Aykroyd, and again exposed her to a new generation of r&b lovers now you listen to me i love you but i'm the man and you are the woman and i'll make the decisions concerning my life you better think about what you're saying you better think about the consequences of your actions. Oh, shut up, woman. You better think, think, think about what you're trying to do to me, yeah. Think, 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 let your mind let yourself be free. And then she ends up reprising the role later in this timeline for the Blues Brothers 2000 and 1998. You talk straight with me, Matt Murphy. I always do. And you treat me with respect at all times. I do, baby. And you know what I mean when I say respect. So the Blues Brothers, like, helped put her back on this, like, this Queen of Soul pedestal. Yeah. You know? John Landis called me and uh, asked me to be in it, and I was delighted and honored to do so. What that movie did for her was bring her to a new audience who really were not familiar with her music because they they were too young or they were, you know, at the disco. And I think when people watched it, they thought, Aretha, there's Aretha being great again. People may have forgotten, and that got people thinking about Aretha once more. She goes on and she, she makes these, I feel like these albums, they're not my favorite. No. In her catalog, but she's definitely going pop yeah you have again the the other self-titled album aretha in 1980 which sparked her first top 40 single on the pop charts in six years you have who's zooming who oh my god can we take a moment to talk about who's zooming who <laughs> let's okay let's do it <laughs> so this came out in 1985 it was her first arista album to be certified platinum yes a producer that she works on with this album is a producer named Narada Michael Walden. And the story goes. I was cutting uh, the Freeway of Love, Who's Zooming Who, at the Automatic Studios in San Francisco for Aretha and really uh, focused. Yeah. Because I knew that had to be right. And I got a phone call from Jerry Griffith from Arista Records. Yep. And Jerry said, I really want you to work on a song for Whitney Houston. I said, Jerry, I don't have time. I'm really right in the middle of making this Aretha record. And he knew that. But he said, but you don't want to sleep on this because she'll be, she'll be a big artist. I go, well, what? You know? Yeah. Is Sissy Houston's daughter. I go, oh, okay. I know Sissy Houston because she sang my first album, Garden Love Light. Yeah. I said, okay. He said, 
let me send you an idea of a song we got for her. I said, okay. And then a few days later, I got a, I got a, a song called How Will I Know? I met with Whitney in the studio at, at, at Media Sound with Michael Barbiero, and she walked in looking like a million dollars. So when I got there, I met her, she was so cool, she goes on the mic, the headphones, okay, let's go for it. I mean, the first take is what you're hearing. She was that flawless. Way to have, like, that's a career right there. Just the way Whitney and Aretha always seem to interweave with each other. Yeah, they're interconnected. Yeah. You know? Have you ever heard the song, Who's Zooming Who? Yeah. Okay, don't you think it sounds like a predated version of How Will I Know? Because that's both produced by Narada Michael Walden, by the way, for listeners. Yeah. We'll play both of them. Yes. Boom. If you're lucky, you don't have to go through this era. Yeah. But a lot of divas, especially of that time, are trying to find that new audience. And so they try to do this cool era. Like, I'm trying to be cool for the youngins. When you started out, I mean, you won every award out there, every Grammy that there was to win. Then you took time off. Then you came roaring back in the 80s. Which was more fun for you? The initial uh, success or coming back and having the success uh, after being away for a while? Coming back, I think. Because in the 60s, you're young and you're excited and you take on a lot more than you can really handle. And it, get, it gets pretty rough. You came back with all the young people, you know, Mariah Carey, uh -huh. George Michael. I mean, did they come to you? Did you come to them? Uh, some of the things were set up between Mr. Davis and uh, that's the chairman of Arista and their management. And I'm one of the young people. <laughs> a lot of the production on these albums is like very 80s. It's not like that classic yes. Aretha sound that we associate with her. It's not my favorite. But there was also um, a huge collaboration she did with the Eurythmics. Oh, yeah. With sisters are doing it for themselves. That's like a feminist anthem now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And this album ended up becoming Aretha's biggest selling album yet. Wow. Right, by 1985. Clive. <laughs> <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Clive Davis. Is it her best? I would say no. no. But it was her biggest selling. Yeah. And if anyone is familiar with Clive Davis, that's someone who very much operates on like, I want to sell like big records. Like we want numbers on the board. Yep. Absolutely. And he achieved that with Aretha. <laughs> I mean, and then she did her thing again in 1986 with uh, the album I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. It was her follow-up to Who's Zooming Who. And she had another hit duet with George Michael, an up-and-coming George Michael called I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. And it hit number one on the pop charts. And he says she was an idol. For him, it was a dream come true to well, sing with her. I mean, George Michael's a soul singer, so he better be praying at the altar of Aretha Franklin. She's the best. <laughs> Quite simply, <laughs> she's the best. Uh, 
much as I love a lot of other female artists, there's no one touches her really. I mean, I haven't listened to every single 80s song that she did, but I think this one is like my favorite. Cause I just feel like, yeah, yeah, cause yeah. George Michael can hang with Aretha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree. So then we kind of get out of the 80s. I feel like there is like the 80s section of Arista and then there's the 90s section mm, okay. of Arista for me. Okay. And for me, once we get into the 90s, I view Aretha as the cool person she wanted to be in the 80s. Oh, okay. Because here she is. There is a, a show, a spinoff of the Cosby show called The Different World. Mm. And suddenly this big show is happening and who do we hear on the beginning intro song? It's a different world. Ooh, and where you come from? The city is now, yeah. Her voice reminds me of every single character off of a different world. And mm-hmm. that was a huge show at the time, you know? Right. And that kind of like operates like the Blues Brothers, where she's able to be reintroduced to a newer younger generation of the 90s yeah yeah i agree and then she has this 1998 moment with lauren hill with the album a rose is still a rose and then the title track a rose is still a rose This is probably my for real first interaction with Aretha real time. Oh, okay. In an era. Oh, okay. And I was like, oh my gosh, who's this woman? Yeah. At eight. Who's this woman? A rose is still a rose. Okay, Aretha. You know? Yeah. Let's see what you're about. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And to think that Lauryn Hill wrote this and produced it. Lauryn Hill was working with legendary divas at that time. Right. Oh, yeah. Lauryn Hill was saying that after you had done the set a vocal session and you had left Mm -hmm. and i don't know if it was a rose is still a rose but something that she said she went into the booth and she said it smelled like church Hmm. it was pure and full of energy and what does church smell like smells like old books to me what church did you go to oh i went to united church it smelled like old hymnaries and old books my my church doesn't smell like that. What does it smell? My like? church smells like a lot of good fried chicken and homemade rolls and fried corn and things like that. Unfortunately, we didn't have any of that on the set of a rose is still a rose. Well, then you know the two thousands happen, and how would you like define like kind of those like last couple of years of Aretha? Because I feel like by that point. She's already just like such an icon and a yeah. legend. It's just a lot of like people yeah, showering her practically with her legend status. She is in her legend era, like official legend era. 
we've always talked about black artists getting to this this moment and how a lot of black artists don't get to that legend era Mm -hmm. moment where they're getting their flowers and stuff like that they're like alive to actually be there and receive it yeah yeah so aretha was in like this unique space where she could drop more music but she doesn't have to do anything she could just show up and sing a song and people are like oh my god aretha you know right yeah that's definitely like the aretha that like I grew up with just absolutely because of the way that people would react to her walking into the room just yeah like, oh, she's a big deal oh yeah <laughs> this is this is diva diva aretha right yeah this is like uh-huh. we're getting into shady aretha like <laughs> oh yeah word on the street is she's always been a little shady but but now with the internet now with being the able internet to capture these interviews yeah we can all just really relish yeah in these wonderful shady <laughs> diva montages you thought that Halle Berry would be great playing you. And Halle said something to the effect of, mm-hmm. I can't sing, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to do Miss Franklin justice. I knew she couldn't sing. Yes. Um, I never expected her to. I think that Jennifer Hudson mm-hmm. would do a bang up job as okay. you. She has a good clear voice. A good clear voice. Mm-hmm. Then how about Fantasia Barino? Could be Fantasia, could be uh, Jennifer. Queen Latifah? You don't know. Okay. Uh, you don't know. You seem like the type of woman who still falls and can get as stupid as the rest of us girls. Do you think I'm gullible? I think that you can be. Well. With the right man. Yeah, no, no. I'm not gullible. Mm-mm. You get stupid. I'm not going to be stupid anymore. What? But yeah, she's just, she's just vibing in the early 2000s until her retirement mm-hmm. in 2017. Mm-hmm. So in February 2017, at 74 years old, that's when she officially announced that she was going to be retiring. R E S P E C T. Oh yeah. Aretha Franklin yes. saying she's gonna she's gonna R E T I R E. What do you think about that? <laughs> Listen, if <laughs> if Aretha retires, who's gonna cook backstage? She oh. can't retire. You know, here's a <laughs> here's a woman who my grandmother listens to, my mother listens to, and my daughter listens to. Mm-hmm. So if she wants to sit down for a little bit, that's okay. But her spirit is in the DNA of the music business. Any pop artist, any R&B artist has Aretha in their spirit and in their soul. She'll never retire. It's interesting that, you know, she ended up only passing away a year later. Yeah. You know. Wasn't she rumored to be sick around that time? So I think she probably and the family probably knew. Yeah. Like, you know, take a break. Right. But yeah, she, she passes away on August 16th. 2018 in Detroit, Michigan, at the age of 76. The queen of soul, the woman whose powerful voice was singular and whose lyrics were the backdrop of so much history in this country. Aretha Franklin has died. We learned today Franklin died of pancreatic cancer at the age of 76, surrounded by family, who tonight say they have lost the matriarch, the rock of their family. You know who also died on that day? Who? Was Elvis Presley. He died on August 16th as well. I don't know why I was thinking. I was like, Elvis was not alive at that time. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, he was. <laughs> Who, to make a connection back to our buddy Whitney, her mother yes. was a backup singer for both Aretha and Elvis. I know you were sharing breaks as you were doing your notes. You're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm I was like, oh my, oh my God. Another connection? <laughs> Another connection. Whitney is in the room. <laughs> She's actually here with me right now. You can come in. (laughs) Say hi. 
say hi to the listeners and scare everyone. Um, but yeah, that's kind of our very quick, because there's a lot that we really just sped through. But yeah. um, that's our quick overview of Aretha's career. Yeah. Per se. We didn't, again, kind of like what Angie said in the beginning, we didn't really delve into her life dramas because there was quite a bit. So much. But if we ever, you know, which I'm sure we will at some point do deep dive on one of her albums, that's when more of that will pop up there. Yeah. Okay, so we began this episode talking about some of Aretha Franklin's influences. So let's talk about some people that Aretha influenced herself to make diva connections. Yes. Because we've already been doing that throughout the entirety of this pod. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Angie, who is one diva that you think was really influenced by Aretha? I feel like this is the diva that deserves her own diva one-on-one as well. Mm -hmm. But as I was listening to Aretha... I couldn't stop thinking about Natalie Cole. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. If you guys go back, like for real, for real, go back and listen to Natalie Cole. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys two songs in particular. I've Got Love on My Mind. I've got love on my particular it sounds like if you change it just a bit it could have been on the sparkle soundtrack Mm, mm -hmm. natalie cole's riffs and runs are sometimes almost identical to that of aretha her belts like when she's belting the texture is so much like aretha and yeah like like i said i was just i was just very very shocked when i was listening to aretha's catalog and i was like oh my god this is natalie cole yeah. And then there's another song called I Can't Say No. Here I am. There you are. If you ask me to walk a thousand miles just to be where you are, I can't say no. If you ask me. The intro of that song. The way that, you know, the strings come in, the piano, it's like, oh my gosh, the background vocals, it's like, it's giving gospel, it's giving soul. It's Natalie Cole, sounds like Aretha. And uh, if you guys don't know who Natalie Cole is, Natalie Cole is the daughter of Nat King Cole, who was like a crooner way back when. Unforgettable, that's what you are. And Natalie Cole, she came out in the, the late 70s going into the 80s. But she is the direct descendant of Aretha. She went to school in Aretha's house mm-hmm. and started making music mm. immediately. Right. You know? Yeah. 
Nepo baby? Nepo babies. I mean, nice. maybe we just love Nepo babies. <laughs> I love a Nepo baby, so Nepo diva babies. I love a Nepo baby who knows, who like studied. Yeah. Who used all those connections and studied. Mm-hmm. And I feel like all of the Nepo babies that we talk about from Whitney to Aretha to Natalie Cole, they just studied. They knew what the hell they were doing. Okay? I mean, if you're going to have that <laughs> access, at least I'm please saying. make use of the access. I'm saying. <laughs> well, speaking of a Nepo baby. <laughs> we already know. I have a feeling. <laughs> I mean, the diva that I would like to talk about that was really influenced by Aretha is me. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's Miss Whitney. Nippy Elizabeth Houston. I mean, I feel like we've literally been talking about this throughout because the comparisons are just like really obvious. But I mean, both came from the church, rooted in gospel. Do you like gospel music? Oh, good. That's good. Oh, that's great. Okay, here we go. He. both had massive crossover pop success like aretha whitney grew up around these very famous singers because her mother quite literally was a backup singer for aretha sissy houston the great sissy houston was a member of the sweet inspirations whitney's mother sissy houston was a very old friend of mine We've sung together many, many times. She's done a lot of background work with me and um, accompanied me on a number of dates. And we're old and very good friends. And she used to bring Whitney to some of my recording sessions. I can remember going into the studio at the age of five with my mother and going to an Aretha Franklin session. And um, remember hearing her record Ain't No Way. You know, songs like that. That high note on Ain't No Way for the longest time. my gosh. I remember when I was 17 and I heard that song, I thought that part was like a literal instrument. Yeah. That was always my favorite part in the song. I was like, oh God, what is that? And then it was like, oh no, it's actually a voice. Oh, it's Aretha's voice. But no. Yeah. It's Sissy Houston. Right. Whitney's mother. I was like, oh God, (laughs) this is amazing. I mean, like Aretha, Whitney had a front row seat to people like Aretha and Shaka Khan and Dionne yeah. Warwick. I think that's a large reason why I love Whitney is because I feel like her career is like a diva synthesis. Yeah, like absolutely. pick your favorite diva and and Whitney like probably studied them at some point. Right. Um, yeah. Like we both said, cover queens. Yes. They both had like a sparkle moment. Right. Because, they you know, did. Aretha... <laughs> Aretha did the music for the original Sparkle and then Whitney would then star in the remake 
of Sparkle. Yeah. Wow. Was my life not enough of a cautionary tale for you? We are close to getting a record deal. Hell, if I had any sense, I'd be living off you. He did that to you, didn't he? Wow. Are you still going to be a part of the group? Shadows, shadows come. People are trying to destroy what we built. You and me, we started this thing. Why would the Lord give me this gift if I wasn't supposed to use it? It takes a lot of faith to do this, Marco. There's a quote here. It's not a quote. It's not something that I came up with. And I don't even remember where I heard this. It was probably like maybe like a documentary or, or something. But someone once said that, Aretha's voice is a vessel for people on earth trying to connect with God, whereas Whitney Houston's voice was a vessel for God trying to connect with us on earth. Oh, that's a bar. Oh my gosh. I did not come up with that. I wish I could attribute that quote to someone, but that's kind of why I think Whitney and Aretha, aside from the obvious comparisons, are so connected because they're kind of like... They're like the yin and the yang in the best way. Yeah, they're the yin and the yang. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was a quote. What a quote. Whoever came up with that, shout out to you. Do, do you realize how much you, you influenced her and how much you still influence her, I assume? No, I didn't. Um, Did you know this? I didn't know <laughs> that. I, I saw um, the picture that they ran in the middle of her video, and then I read some of her stories, and I think that's lovely. It's, it's fabulous that she's been influenced by me. So that, that's kind of a surprise. It's not like you were uh, mm-hmm. a mothering type that gave her a lot of advice over the years. Mm-hmm. No, I had no idea that uh, that Whitney felt as close to me as she does, but it's lovely. When I first heard Aretha sing, or when I was in the studio and I saw Aretha and Sweet Inspirations working together, and I heard Aretha's voice, it's just something that she has. And the way she makes people feel, you know, was what I wanted to have, you know, what I said, ooh, if I could just, if I could ever be a singer, that's the way I want to make people feel. I want to have that kind of gut feeling that where I can make myself feel good and make everybody else feel good, yeah. When you're singing now, do you feel that? Oh, yes. I wouldn't sing if I couldn't. Hey, guys, it's me, Angie. So, while Steffi was editing, she realized that this episode was getting super super long so what we're gonna do is we're gonna be cutting this episode into two parts so what you just heard was part one where we talked about Aretha's career her influences and other divas she influenced and next week we're gonna be coming back and we're gonna be sharing our personal Aretha favorites favorite Aretha songs favorite Aretha pop culture moments live performances and Aretha songs you need to know so stay tuned for that but before we leave we gotta shout out our socials you can find me, Angie, on Twitter. I don't know how long that's going to last, but you can find me on Twitter at PoetrySoul3 or on Instagram at Angie.Simone. If you want to hit up Steffi directly, hit her up on Twitter and Instagram at INN underscore MHO. And then on YouTube uh, at In My Humble Opinion. And if you're trying to hit up the podcast, it's at Diva Daily's Pod on Twitter instagram and tiktok and if you would like to send uh, a lengthy message perhaps a voice recording please hit us up through our email at divadailiespod at gmail.com and we will definitely give you a shout out and play your message on the pod and if you like this episode please don't forget to give us a rating and review 
of the podcast wherever you listen. It really helps us out. So please do that. And please let us know how you're enjoying our Diva 101 episode. This is our first Diva 101 episode. So we definitely appreciate the feedback. Tell us if you liked it, if you hated it. Possibly tell us what divas you would like a Diva 101 episode of. Give us all that information. Um, And then there's a special shout out. I need to shout out Steffi for editing these episodes. Uh, She does a really, really great job. And she puts so much effort into editing these episodes. And if you guys would like to give her a shout out or just tell her how much you enjoy the editing or just give her feedback on the editing, please hit her up again. You can hit her up on Twitter and Instagram at INN underscore MHO or on YouTube, in my humble opinion. So please go do that because she put a lot, a lot of work into these episodes, um, into this episode. So shout out to Steffi with that. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode, part two of Diva 101, the first Diva 101 episode of Aretha Franklin. And to that, remember divas. So the thing is, a diva has to be good at what she does. Thank you.